let's pray as we come to read from God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your love for us as a church, and thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through Matthew chapter 22 today, Lord God. Would you have your way in our hearts and in our minds, and would we bring glory to you for the glorious celebration that awaits us, the wedding banquet that we are invited to by Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we celebrate our fifth birthday, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 22 and read a parable that Jesus told all about a celebration. Do you know that since we started every year, we've read a portion of uh, Matthew's gospel since 2018, and we're going to finish in 2024, so we're going to preach through the whole of Matthew's gospel, and we're kind of jumping back into that sermon series, but with a passage um, particularly chosen for this morning, and I'm really looking forward to preaching it to you. So Matthew 22... Verses 1 to 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen." So Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Do you remember the triumphant entry? He comes on a donkey and people shout praises to him. But as he enters Jerusalem, he is challenged by the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. Who are you to have all these crowds shouting your name, Jesus? Why are you driving people out of the temple? Who, by what authority, Jesus, are you doing these things? They question him and accuse him. And so in Matthew's gospel, Jesus begins to tell a string of parables which are directed to the Jewish leaders and Pharisees, but also speak to us today. To the Jewish leaders in these parables, there's a warning. Unless you accept me, unless you believe in me, unless you accept the true good news, you will be cast out. And heaven, the wedding banquet, will not be for you. But for everybody else... The Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, there is an invitation to the good people and the bad people, come and accept this wedding invitation. Now, I, I love the details of this parable. And so in this sermon, I'm just going to pick out a few details and walk us through it. So the first detail of this parable that I really love is it starts with a king giving a wedding feast for his son. At the end of time, you can read it described in Revelation chapter 19, there is a wedding celebration described. 
the church, which is all the Christians across all nations and all generations, is described as a bride, adorned in fine linen, bright and pure. And Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. He's described as the lamb in this wedding scene. So you've got the church, the bride, and you've got Jesus, the groom. And Jesus is described as the lamb. And they come together in this wedding ceremony and marriage celebration. I love that even then in Revelation 19, Jesus is still described as the lamb, the lamb who was slain, of course, on the cross, the lamb who shed his blood that we might be forgiven. So even at this wedding celebration at the end of time, every part of the bride, every Christian included in the church will know that the groom loves them because they will know that he was the lamb who loved them so much he died on the cross for them. And so this is the wedding feast that Jesus is describing in this parable, the the wedding feast that's also described in Revelation chapter 19. And what Jesus is saying to us today is, you are invited. You are invited to this glorious wedding celebration at the end of time. Accept your invitation by putting your faith in Jesus Christ today. But the detail I love in verse 2 is that it's the king who puts on the wedding feast for his son. Here is a picture of God the Father, the King, showing his love and celebration of the Son. Why is there a wedding celebration at the end of time? It's actually because God the Father loves the Son. You might think it's because the Son, Jesus the Lamb, loves us. And it is, of course, about that as well, because it's a wedding. But the wedding feast is put on by the Father. He's saying to his son, Jesus, I love you. I've loved you since eternity, from the beginning of time. I've loved you in eternity. I've loved you forever. And I've actually orchestrated all of history to end in this great wedding celebration. It's all for you. The wedding feast is for you. Do you know the father has always loved the son? In fact, the reason he created the world was for the glory of the son, Jesus Christ. The reason he created you is that you might glorify the son. And the reason he's brought you into the church, he's saved you, is that you might be part of this wedding wedding feast at the end of time, which is a wedding feast all for the sun. I think that's a challenge as well, isn't it? Do you live your life as though everything you do, everything you think, everything you say exists to bring glory to Jesus Christ, God the Son? That's why we're called Christ Church Fairham. It's not because I was boring and couldn't think of a more inventive name. It's because we're a church that exists for Christ. We are his church and we love to bring his praise and adoration. So I love the detail at the beginning of this parable. that It's the king putting on a wedding feast for his son. It's God the father putting on a wedding feast for his son, Jesus Christ, whom he loves. Now the second detail that we ought to see in the passage is that There are people who reject the invitation. There are people who are invited who say no. Remember, he's speaking specifically to the Jewish rulers here, the people who are part of the nation of Israel, who think that they're God's beloved nation, but actually when they're invited to this wedding feast, they reject the invitation. And you know, there'll be people today who also reject Jesus' invitation to this wedding feast. I pray they wouldn't be in this room but there could be people in this room who reject the invitation to this wedding feast. Now, notice in the parable that there are two different ways of rejecting that invitation. In verse 6, some people 
completely hate the servants of God. They hear this message of the gospel and they hate it. They even murder the servants of God who are delivering this message. And that's what happened in, in history is the prophets came and, and brought messages and they were hated by the Jewish people. And then Jesus Christ came, the son of God himself, with this message of the wedding banquet and he was hated and rejected and ultimately crucified by the Jewish people. Throughout history, Christians have been mocked and killed for their faith. Even now, around the world, in other nations, there's intense persecution of Christians who are not allowed to practice their faith, who are hated, who are mocked, who are even martyred for their belief in Jesus Christ. And so, Christian, I want to ask you an important question. Are you prepared to suffer for your faith? Are you prepared to be persecuted for your faith, perhaps even martyred, because you love Jesus Christ so much. Of course, for Christians, we know that death doesn't, isn't the end. We go to be with Jesus, and ultimately we enter into the new heavens and the new earth and reign eternally with Christ. So to die in this life is actually a wonderful honour, in a sense, because we die for Christ, and we bring him glory. If you're a non-Christian... I want to invite you to consider your ways. Are you guilty of shaming Christians, of mocking them? If so, this parable might be for you. Some people actively shame or even kill Christians. So that's one way of rejecting the invitation. The invitation comes and you, you, re, you respond with complete opposition and hatred and shame and murder. But there's another way of rejecting the invitation. Have a look at verse 5. There are others who simply pay no attention to the invitation. They go off to their farms and to their businesses and say, actually, this is more important than this wedding celebration. They had the opportunity of going to this glorious, eternal wedding celebration, a perfect paradise, a party with God in eternity. That was the invitation on the table for them. And they said, I've got some jobs to do at the farm. I've got to keep my business running. I've got to make money here on this earth. That was a very, very foolish thing to do, to pay no attention to the invitation. If you're a non-Christian, please do not fall into the trap of paying Jesus no attention. He is undoubtedly the most influential man in history. He was a carpenter from Nazareth, and yet thousands of people give him glory today. He transformed the world as we know it. He's undoubtedly the most influential man in history. Please don't pay him no attention at all. But if Jesus is truly who he said he was, then he's even more worthy of our attention. He claims to be the son of God. He claims to be the saviour of the world. He claims to be the one who died on the cross, that whoever believes in him might have their sins forgiven. He was the one who rose from the grave in power. Death could not hold him, so whoever believes in him has eternal life. If Jesus is the Son of God, then he is worthy of all our attention. Please do not pay him no attention. To ignore him is the most foolish thing you can possibly do. I had an amazing email this week from someone um, who I've, I've never met face to face, they said, I grew up mocking Christianity and kind of thinking that if anyone was religious, it was utterly ridiculous. But I've gone through life and I'm starting to ask questions. And actually, I've started to, to think that people who have faith in God are, are, 
a, a special, have something that I don't have and I'm investigating. What an amazing email to receive from someone who's still kind of battling as an agnostic but able to respond and say, hey, here are some of the things you can do. And, and, and this is what I'd encourage you to do if you are a non-Christian. Don't pay Jesus no attention. Turn your attention to Jesus. Read the Gospels in the Bible. Come to church. Hear the good news of Jesus. Decide for yourself whether his claims for himself are true because if they are, they will transform your life even into eternity. Christians, let this parable be a warning to you as well. Beware the interests of this world that pull you away from worship. Beware the interests of this world that pull you away from worship. May you not be grouped with the people who get invited to the wedding feast and say, oh no, actually, I've got to go and deal with my farm right now. I've got to deal with my business right now. If family, if entertainment, if sport, if business, if jobs keep you from worshipping Christ, this parable is a challenge to repent. Turn back to Jesus Christ and make him your number one. There's loads of good gifts in this life that we are to enjoy as Christians. Family and all those things I've listed are good gifts from God. But if they take the place of Christ in your life, then they are pulling you away from worship. And they are dangerous. And you need to repent and turn to Jesus and say, you're number one. And all these other things I do to glorify you. I want to worship you, Jesus, first and foremost. I'm not going to be like the people who go to their farms and their business and ignore this glorious invitation. We love God's grace in this church. We believe we are saved by the unmerited favour of God. We love God's mercy. He forgave us because he's a merciful God. And so if you're a believer in Christ, you have been forgiven. You have received salvation because of grace. But we ought not to presume as Christians that there aren't parts of our lives that we need to repent of. We need to seek Christ anew in. And so don't be that person who just drifts along in life and actually ignores worshipping Christ because you've got other more important things to do. Pay attention to the invitation to this wedding feast. Pay attention to Christ and do not let the affairs of this world distract you. The third detail I want to draw your attention to is that the parable makes it clear there is a punishment for those who refuse or ignore the invitation. Have a look at verse 7. The king, that is God the father, is angry that people have rejected the son's invitation and he sends troops to destroy those murderers and to burn the city. Do you know the greatest sin that non-Christians are guilty of is that they reject Christ. They reject the son. They reject the invitation to the wedding feast. There's, there's, there's many things that we do in a sinful way, but actually to reject Christ himself, that's the one that makes the father the most angry because he loves the son and he's throwing this party for the son. It's all for the glory of the son. So to reject Christ is the worst sin of all. Now, this verse is literally fulfilled in 70 AD. The father sends troops to the city of Jerusalem and they burn the city. And they destroy the temple. There's a judgment that comes upon the nation of Israel because they've rejected Christ in 70 AD. But we know there's also a a future fulfillment. That those who do not accept Jesus will be burned because of the things they have done. Do not reject the invitation. Do not pay no attention to Jesus. It's so important that you turn to Christ. 
So some people reject the invitation, and there's consequences for that decision. But the next detail I want to look at is that the invitation is spread wider. God the Father sees that people have rejected the invitation, and so he spreads the net further and invites other people to this wedding feast. And I love that the invites are given both to the good and to the bad people. The Jews have rejected the invite, so the king says, let's invite the world. The gospel goes out into the main roads, to the world, even to Pharaoh. And people hear this gospel invitation. They hear that Christ has died for their sins. They hear that Christ has risen from the grave. And these people respond and accept the invitation so that the wedding banquet at the end of time is packed with people who have come to bring glory to the Son, Jesus Christ. This is our mission, Christ Church Fairham. We've had an amazing five years, praise God. But let's not just sit here for the next five years and say, oh yeah, we had a good five years so we can do whatever we like now. No, let's take our mission from this parable. Let's go to the roads. Let's go to the streets. Let's invite as many as we find to the wedding feast of Jesus Christ, telling people that God loves them, telling people that Jesus died for them, telling people that there's an eternal life to come and there's a glorious banquet which they are invited to. The invitation is to be given to good and bad people because salvation does not depend upon our deeds, but on grace, on accepting Jesus in faith. So don't rule out people who you know because you think, wow, they're such a bad pe person. They could never get into heaven. They could never attend the wedding feast. That's nonsense. <laughs> it, Christ came to save sinners like you and me. And so we're only in the kingdom. We're only invited to the wedding because of his grace. And the same is true for all the people whom God is sending us to invite. Let's be God's servants. Let's be the king's servants in going forth with the message to the streets. Now, if you know you're a sinner, if you know you're a bad person, then this parable gives such hope because the invitation is for you. The invitation has come to you. And this is the invitation. Believe in Jesus and your sin will be forgiven. And you will enter into a relationship with God and such a close relationship that you are invited to the wedding banquet. You know, weddings are expensive. You tend to only invite, you know, the people you like and the people that you have to invite because you're related to them, right? Well, God sends out this invitation to you. Come to my wedding feast. You're one of the people that I like. It's not just that I have to invite you. It's I've chosen you. I'm sending my message to you through Jesus Christ. And if you're already a Christian, just sit in that place of remembering where you've come from. You were one of the people on the streets. You were one of the people on the roads. And a servant of God came to you and shared the good news of Jesus Christ and said, hey, you're invited. And the Holy Spirit worked in your heart and you believed in Christ. And now you have the most glorious, wonderful celebration to look forward to in the future. A wedding banquet with God. You have a relationship with God the Father now. And you have a wedding feast to look forward to. The wedding hall will be packed with people from every tribe, every tongue and every nation. People who were good and people who were not so good. All who have received forgiveness through the death of Christ. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for this amazing invitation. But in verses 11 to 13, Jesus just adds one more warning to the story. One man comes to the wedding celebration in his dirty clothes. Not fine linen, 
And the king says, how did you get in here wearing those clothes? And the guy's speechless. He doesn't know. And so he's thrown out. He suffers the punishment that the, same, the people who rejected the invitation also receive. Now, the systematic theologian in me wants to preach justification in this moment. The Bible describes salvation in this way. We have all sinned, and sin is like a stain on our clothes. And so we walk around covered in filthy rags in terms of our deeds and the things we have done. And then Christ comes, and Christ lives a righteous life. So Christ's garment is spotless, fine, bright, white linen. And on the cross, a great exchange takes place. Christ says, here, take my spotlessness, my righteousness, take my garments, and you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And and Christ says, hey, I'll take your dirty rags, and I will wear them, and I will go to the cross. And so we are made righteous by the death of Christ, clothed in this beautiful garment, and we stand before God as though righteous. If you're a believer in Christ, you are justified. You are made righteous. You are, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son. Even if you have a terrible day today, even if you're sitting there right now, sinning in your mind, going, oh, I hate all the people around me. And then you go home and you, you lie or you're selfish and you're proud all day. Even then, if you believe in Christ, when you come to God the Father in prayer, he sees you as his beloved son or daughter, spotless in his presence. Because your standing before God does not depend on what you do. It depends upon what Christ has done. So I really want to preach justification from this parable because of this garment image that happens in this parable. But I'm not actually sure that's what Jesus meant when he told this parable and spoke about the white garment. Because when you read Revelation chapter 19... The fine clothes that people wear in Revelation chapter 19 at the wedding are described as the good deeds of the saints. So that's not a picture of justification, even though everything that I've just said to you is true and right and good. That is how justification happens. And that picture is in the Bible. In this case, I think Jesus is actually laying down a challenge to us who have accepted the invitation to the wedding feast. Good and bad people are all invited, but when you accept Jesus, your life is changed. Every Christian saved by grace begins to walk in a different way, begins to look more like Jesus Christ, begins to walk in the good deeds that God has prepared for you. Not perfectly, we still mess up and get things wrong, but I hope if you're a Christian, you can look back and say, actually, I am a different person from when I became a Christian. I look at the pictures and go, man, I look so much older than I did five years ago. It's been like 10, 20 years for me and the way I look. Well, I hope that you as a Christian can look back and say, I am a different person. I've been living in, I've been doing things for the glory of Christ in a way that I wasn't doing five years ago or 10 years ago or when I became a Christian. So there's a warning in this parable. Don't just accept the invitation to the wedding banquet and go with your mouth and go, oh yeah, I've, accept, I've accepted it, I'm going to be there, it's fine. But know that when you accept that invitation, there's a heart change and a life change and you will begin to walk in good deeds and the good deeds of the saints are actually part of your wedding garment that you will wear. Don't think that you gain entry to the wedding on the basis of your good deeds. No, you gain entry because of what Christ has done for you. 
But don't presume on the grace of God and not live a life that's worthy of the invitation that you've received. Between now and the moment where we go to that wedding celebration, we want to live for Jesus Christ, doing the deeds that he has prepared for us to do. Don't be like this guy who was thrown out, but live for Jesus' glory. And seek God in prayer, asking him to change you, asking him to guide you into the good deeds he has prepared. Now, as I draw to a close, I just want to focus on rejoicing. This is a parable about celebration. There's lots of warnings and difficult details in the parable, but this is ultimately a parable about a wedding feast for the son. And Christ, in his death, has won a way for you and me to enter into the presence of God, to be at this glorious eternal celebration. I can't wait for the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be so good. I I can only imagine some of the glorious details as we all gather together. Perhaps we'll all bring a plate of food with us and bring it to the table and sit round and worship the Son, Jesus Christ, and bring him glory. And we'll be clothed in fine linen, the bride of Christ, united together as one church and also united to Christ, our groom, our saviour, our Lord, the one whom we love forever and ever. No more tears, no more illness, no more disease. Just Perfect paradise, no more death, will be with Jesus forever and ever. It's so glorious. Christ has won a way for you to enter into that wonderful, wonderful celebration. So five years of Christchurch Fairham is amazing. And God is so good. But do you know, there's a, there's a moment when Jesus sends out his disciples and his disciples go away and drive out demons and they see amazing miracles and they come back to Jesus rejoicing and saying, hey, even the demons are subject to us. We're doing amazing miracles. We're rejoicing. We're so happy because of what we're doing. And Jesus says, hey, don't rejoice that you, even the demons are subject to you. Don't rejoice in the things you're doing. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Do you know if you're a Christian, your name is written in the book of life. You have eternal life. And so when we praise, yes, we're thanking God for his faithfulness over the five years. Of course, he's been so good. But actually, there's an even more glorious truth, which is we've been saved by Jesus into eternity forever and ever. We worship and glorify him for that. That is where Christ instructs us to rejoice about that thing. Yeah, God's going to do amazing things through us. He has done amazing things through us but that Christ has saved us and our name is written in that book. That's what fills my heart with rejoicing, even if the church dies tomorrow. Even if I have a rubbish day, I can still rejoice because my name is written in the book of life.